give you one week to go, <gasps> and then we'll get back into a short summer series uh, on Tuesday night through uh, end of July and August. So this will be the last one in this series. We started out in Genesis chapter 1 with God creating the world, the explanation of how it was done, what happened first, and so forth. And we had the human race brought in as God creates a man in his own image. And then we have what really is the uh, emphasis of the Bible is the human condition. What happened to the human race and why are we in the condition that we're in? And in Genesis, you have the explanation of that, how sin came into the race, uh, rebellion against God, and it uh, went uh, so intensely onward uh, that they became a hugely violent society, and God finally decided, I can't stand them, we're going to wipe them out. And so he wiped out the human race with the exception of one family, which was Noah. And the Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so at 600 years, uh, when he was 600 years old, he went in to the ark and the flood came. And then God made serious changes along the way. And we've talked about some of those changes after the flood. Uh, the climate was very different. It had been tropical and easy to live in, and God had changed that. That was one of the things that he changed. And then he changed also a, a lifetime. Uh, went from 960 years, almost a 1,000 years, and then it went down to finally about 120 years. And that would even go down more to 70 and 80 years, which is about where we are. And so uh, God shortened up because of rebellion. <clears throat> because of rebellion, God shortened the lifespan of the human race. Because when they were living 900 years, when their heart got hard at 100 years, just think how hard their heart was at 900. They were violent, do whatever we want. And God said, they only think evil all the time. And after the flood, he also said, they still think evil. Or sin was still the problem after the flood. And God, we showed last week how God commented on that. So we want to go on, and we're going to kind of go backwards tonight. <clears throat> we're going to start at chapter 11 and work our way back to uh, 9 and 10. just because of the way we've approached it. Um, if you look at chapter 9, verse 1, they've just come off the ark. Noah has made his sacrifice, and the smoke rose up to heaven, and God said, said smell the sweet savor. He was happy with Noah's heart and the way Noah was reacting after the flood. And so, chapter 9, verse 1, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth. All right? And so that replenish the earth means spread out. <laughs> Get spread out. We want you to travel, we want you to go farther out, and we want you to fill the whole earth. And uh, that was the instruction as soon as the flood was over. Right? You go now and you spread out and fill up this earth. We've got a whole earth for you to fill up. So get at it and let's go. But they decided they didn't want to do that. They changed their attitude once again towards God. And let's see what happens. And it's in chapter 11. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Of course, everybody came from one family, all right? And so 
all from one family, they all speak the same language. Verse 2, it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Sinar, and they dwelt there. And Sinar is out towards uh, the east of it, what we call now Israel, and it would be near what we would call Babylon. All right? There's a plane there. Verse 3, And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime, had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven. Let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad on the face of the whole earth. And so their plan was not to go and replenish the earth, but we're going to stick together and we're going to build a, a major city, the capital of the world, if you will. And in that city, we're going to build a tower. And they said it was going to go up to heaven. You say, well, you can't build a tower that would go up to heaven. Well, the point was, is that we are going to become the center of religion as we define it. And so it was a rebellion against God, and we're going to make a tower. It'll be a place where people come and gather here, and we'll all be together, and we'll be very powerful, and we will take control of the earth. All right, and that was the attitude. Verse 5, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they all one language, and this thing they begin to do. Now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. And so uh, they can figure out anything. They can build a tower back then that would tower way up into the sky. Uh, they've learned how to build. They've learned how to do all kinds of things. And they are putting it all together, and they are going to decide whatever we want, we will do. <clears throat> and so God says, verse 7, Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence on the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. And so God made all the languages go haywire. And you couldn't understand that guy, and he couldn't understand the other guy. Nobody can understand each other. So, well, we might as well, we don't know what to do. The boss can't, I can't talk to the boss. I can't tell him to make bricks. We can't get nothing done. So I guess we'll quit this and we're going to go out. And God did that. In verse 9, therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. And so God accomplished something with language that he had instructed them to do that they refused to do. And once again, they're behaving like humans, right? <laughs> we're not going to do what God wants us to do. That's not what we're going to do. And we certainly live in that kind of society today. We're not going to do what God wants. We're not going to say something's right or something's wrong. We're going to do what we want to do. And that was the society. And you notice that they call the place Babel. All right, Babel. Uh, and uh, from it, you get Babylon. Babylon. And Babylon would be a name that stands in rebellion against God till the end of time. Right? In the end of time, the book of Revelations it talks about Babylon coming around and being the leading of the rebellion against God. And so you say, you mean the same people? Well, same attitude. We're not going to do what God said. We're going to decide ourselves, and we're going to make our own religion. And, of course, the Antichrist will come make his own religion, all right, connect it where he needs to connect it, and uh, probably have a whole system that he takes over and saying what? I'm going to do what I want to do, all 
right? So the same attitude right here in Genesis that God has stepped in to stop by confounding the language. And it's an interesting thing that in the New Testament, when God starts his kingdom, which is the church of Jesus Christ, right? That's God's kingdom. When he starts his kingdom in the book of Acts, and the church comes blazing, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven, a sound of a rushing mighty wind, and uh, uh, the tongues of fire came down and rested on their heads, and they all spoke with other tongues. And so they reversed Babel in the book of Acts. Right? In Babel, nobody could understand each other. Now, when the Lord's kingdom comes in the book of Acts and the church begins, they're able to go out and it says, everybody heard in their own language. All right, so what's he doing? He's showing this is the kingdom. This is what's going on. All right, what I'm doing here is the most important thing in history. All right, I came into the world, saved the world, created redemption for the human race, and now I'm pouring all my energy into the church, and the church does what? It speaks to everybody in their own language. And from that point, uh, long generations of people have been trying to speak in their own language, and there are whole movements that have spent their entire life uh, interpreting the Bible. And they go to a place, learn the language, write it down, interpret it, and it keeps going on and on. And so the point is that when they were in rebellion against God, God made it so they couldn't understand each other. When the church comes and it's time to get on board with God, what does he do? He makes it so they can understand each other. And that's uh, what's the connection? So the Bible is very, very well connected. If you think the Old Testament is just some old history and the New Testament is where it's at, and I've heard famous preachers say that, you're wrong. The whole Bible is connected right from the beginning to the end. It is the mind of God which collectively gathers all things in and is able to put it all together for us. And that's what's going to happen here in, in uh, this part of Genesis. And so he has <coughs> created now a world where the climate is different, where the age span is significantly shortened, and now there's a language barrier. And so that they can't get together in full rebellion anymore. But they're always their goal was, and this was the goal here, to build a city. Always their goal to build a city. And that's important. If you think about who built the first city in the world. Remember we studied that? Who did it? Cain. Cain went and killed his brother. And God said, you can repent and straighten your life out if you want. I don't want to. I'm leaving the presence of God. And so he left the presence of God. He moves out east. And the first thing he does is build a city. Number one thing. Second guy, Cain, as uh, uh, far as we know, Adam's oldest son, uh, decides, I'm going to build a city. Why? So we got power. So we come together. So we have a place of power. Now all of the cities that they built, of course, before the flood, are washed away. There's nothing left. They're all gone after the flood. And what's the first thing we do? Let's make a city. Let's make a city. That's going to become very significant as we go on. All right, now, we're going to go now back to chapter 9. <coughs> because if you really understand history, uh, you look at what happened here, and this is absolutely an amazing passage. It's stunning, really, uh, when you look at it. <clears throat> you see what happened, and right away people say, that stupid Noah didn't even know better. 
Well, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. Uh, because you recall, as we studied a couple weeks ago, and God said one of my top three was Noah. Noah and Job, right, and Daniel. So these are three guys that if they ask something, I'm in. I'm going to do it. And so Noah is highly thought of of God. And you're going to look at this now and you're going to say, whoa, what? Noah, what's going on? So let's see here. The purpose is not to throw dirt on Noah. It's not why this passage is here. Purpose is to open your understanding for the whole of human history. All right, here we go. All right. Chapter 9, and I'm looking at verse 18. The sons of Noah that went forth from the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. And these are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. All right. And Noah began to be a husbandman, that's a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. And so Noah starts uh, planting grapevines, makes some wine from the grapes, and he gets a little drunk. And everybody's like, oh, no. What happened? What happened? Is nothing in your life that ever went like that? <laughs> I can't say there's nothing in my life that didn't ever go like that. Uh, yeah, sure, those things come along. And Noah uh, got drunk, and he's laying uncovered without any clothes on in his tent. All right, and some people say, well, when Adam sinned, he knew he was naked. And now Noah's sinned, and he knows he's naked. I am not inclined to think that Noah said, I'm going to get good and drunk and watch this. I don't, I don't think that. I think if it was anything, it was an accident, what I would say. But we'll have to ask him later. <laughs> now... It's what happens, not with Noah, but with his sons. And here we go, 22. <clears throat> and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And so here's the youngest son. His name is Ham. And he has a son himself, Canaan. We're not sure how old Canaan is exactly at this time. And uh, Noah's out drunk, sound asleep, laying naked on the floor of his tent. And Ham runs around and says, hey, you got to go see Dad. Hey, let's go see Dad. He's laying there drunk without any clothes on. Verse 23, and Shem and Japheth, the two older brothers, took a garment, laid it upon both their shoulders, and went backwards, covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were backwards that they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah woke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. So instead of covering the sin, which is what Shem and Japheth did, instead of covering the sin, Ham wanted to uh, brag about it. Let's hey, let's tell everybody. Let's go tell everybody. And he certainly didn't honor his father. And somehow, Canaan was in on it. We're not told exactly how that is, but he's the son of Ham. So we've got three sons. We've got Ham, and we've got uh, Shem, and we've got Japheth. Three sons of Noah. And now I believe this is why this passage is here. Because verse 24, Noah woke from his wine, knew what his younger son had done unto him, and he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. All right, and so he curses Ham's son, Canaan, it would have been Ham too, but he uses Canaan 
and that will be very significant. He curses Canaan, and he will be a servant of servants. All right? So if you're a servant of servants, you are what? You're on the bottom, on the bottom tier, all right? Here's a, here's a guy, he's got servants. The servants have servants. Well, if they do, they don't amount to much. And so he says, Canaan and Ham are going to become servant of servants. That's how they're going to be known, all right? Verse 26, and he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. All right, and so... Shem had God on his side, all right, and Canaan will be a servant to Shem. Now, this is where it really gets interesting. 27, God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. So he comes to Japheth, he says he will be enlarged, made large, all right, and he will dwell in the tents of Shem. Dwell in the tents of Shem. Uh, very very fascinating, very fascinating. Let's take a little look at chapter 10, and then we're going to go back and think about what all this means, all right? But in chapter 10, we get a breakdown of the families. It's going to tell us a little bit about each one, all right? So in chapter 10, verse 2, and the sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, and Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyrus. All right, and he's going to go on with more of those things. And verse 5, by these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, everyone after his tongue, and their families and their nations. And so he said, uh, these people, the descendants of Japheth, we're going to, he says, how does he put it? They go to the Isle of the Gentiles. All right, now, if you can picture the world at that time, the Mediterranean Sea, what would later become Israel is here. Of course, this is Africa. Uh, and this is Europe. All right, and you have here, uh, Italy, and Greece, all right, and England up here, and these are called the islands, because they've kind of thought, well, they're in the water, and in a way they were, we look at a little different now, and when you go out to the east, uh, it was Asia out here. And so he says the descendants of Japheth went to Europe. And when the, the uh, families were divided by language, all right, Japheth's family would go up into Europe. All right, now let's look at, at the next family. Uh, chapter 10, verse 6. And the Lord said... Chapter 10, get the right one. Verse 6. The sons of Ham, Cush, Merarim, Put, and Canaan. And there's Canaan. All right. Now look down at verse 5. Or I'm sorry, verse 8. Verse 8. Cush begot Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth. So out of the descendants of Ham comes this very powerful individual. Nine, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. So who made Babylon? Well, it's just one of the sons of Ham. All right. 
uh, Nimrod. He's a very powerful man. Beginning, verse 10, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kelna in the land of Sinar. And out of the land went forth Asher, and builded Nineveh in the city of Rehoboth and Kala. So we get two major cities there here in Asia. Uh, one is Babylon, built by the sons of Ham. Another one is up farther north here, Assyria. It's called, he's, he's Assyrian, and he builds the city of Nineveh. You've heard of Nineveh, haven't you? Where'd you hear of Nineveh? Jonah. Jonah was supposed to go to Nineveh and preach. I don't want to go there. <laughs> he ended up going there and preaching, and they repented. So you keep that in your mind, just a thought. Keep that in your mind. And so we have two major cities built by the sons of Ham. All right, but let's take a look at one more thing here. Verse 15 now, chapter 10. Canaan, we got Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusite, and the Amorite, and the Gergesite, and the Hevite, and the Archite, and the Sunite, and the Arvadite, and the Zemurite, and the Hamathite, and afterwards were the families of Canaanites spread abroad. And so Canaan, the one who's specifically cursed, has a family. 19, and the border of Canaanites was from Zidon, as thou comest into Geir, unto Gaza, as thou goest unto Sodom and Gomorrah, and Adish, and Zerubim, even unto Elisha. That means that Canaan settled right here because Gaza is down here, and uh, Sodom and Gomorrah is over on the, the, the lake over here. And so they're in the land of Israel, which would eventually become known as the promised land. The promised land. It's Canaan's land. All right, Canaan, the son of, of Ham, who was cursed by Noah, takes up residence in what will later become Israel, but we call it the promised land. That's where the Canaanites were. All right, and so uh, we have something about that. Chapter 15, there's one thing here, chapter 15. Verse 16, God's talking with Abraham. Now remember, Noah was 10 generations from Adam. Abraham was 10 generations from Noah. All right, so 10 generations, now it's 20 generations have gone by, and God's talking with Abraham, and he says something fascinating here. Chapter 15 of Genesis, verse 16, in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And so he says to Abraham, your family's going to go to Egypt. They're going to stay there for four generations. We're waiting for something to happen. And when this happens, then I'm going to bring them out of Egyptian slavery. And what he's waiting for is the fullness of the iniquity of Canaanites. The Canaanites are the people who live in the promised land. And God finally said, I've had it with those people. They're cursed. They were cursed by Noah. All right. And they have turned into the most violent and vile place on the earth. So here it is again. Right? And God says to Moses, and then he'll tell Joshua, I want you to go in there. And there's Canaanites through that land. I want them all dead. You go into Jericho. You march around the walls and drop the place on its foundations. And I want everybody dead. Men, women, children. And they would go from city to city. Everybody died. Why? They're Canaanites cursed by Noah. 
all right, and becoming the most violent society known for two things. Number one, killing babies. Number two, homosexuality. Sounds a little familiar ring in your mind. It's exactly what happened, all right? And so the Canaanites were worshiping Baal and taking newborn babies and making a fire in a rock and throw the new baby in. That's what the Canaanites did. And God said, I want them all dead. And Joshua went in and he killed a lot of them. But they didn't get rid of all of them. <laughs> God's always right. And we're always wrong when we go against them. And what the people, one of the, one of the families that they let survive would live until, uh, right up until the book of Esther. And the book of Esther, you read about a man named Haman. And Haman is a descendant of these Canaanites who survived, all right, who didn't get killed. That family survived. And what did Canaan do? Or Haman do? He's, he's going to kill all the Jews in the whole place. And if it wasn't for Esther stepping in with the king under her uncle's uh, influence, uh, they would have killed all the Jews that were alive at that time. That's Canaanite. So God knew. He said, I want these people dead. And so the Canaanites, the descendants of Ham, go into uh, Israel and become the worst people on the face of the earth. And eventually, they are wiped out. Mostly, there's always a few around that show up here and there, uh, but uh, mostly wiped out. And because uh, God passed judgment on them. Because they did the very things we're doing today. The very things we're doing today. Right. So the Canaanites, that name, when, when Noah's wakes up from his drunk, uh, he looks, sees what happened, and he says, these people will be the servant of servants. So the descendants of Ham go and build a city, Babylon, and build a city where? Where Jonah went? Nineveh. Right. The first dominant kingdom in the world after this was the Assyrians. And the Assyrians built Nineveh. And they became the number one nation in control of most of the earth at that time, the Assyrians. They were the first ones, their descendants of Ham. All right? Now, God will pass judgment on Nineveh. He gives them time, just like he gave the Canaanites time, right? Told Abraham, we're going to wait four generations, see what they do. And they only got worse. And so he wiped them out. And so the, the descendants of Ham uh, built Nineveh, a city that also becomes an evil place. And they also build Babylon, and Babylon is the second major world power. The descendants of Ham. What's that? Those are the Canaanites. Yeah, Canaanites. So what do you see? Sodom, Gomorrah, Nineveh, Babylon. Major cities, right? Major cities. The Assyrians become the first one. God wipes them out. And Nineveh is no more. And you can go there now and see some of the entrances. But the city of Nineveh was totally destroyed. Babylon, a fascinating history. Huge, huge 
city with walls 300 feet high. 300 feet. Our steeple is 90 feet. So if you make that three times higher than it is, and that's how high the walls of Babylon were. And they could run chariots around the top of the walls. It was an unbelievable place. And God said, we're going to wipe these people out. And it became a hunting preserve. Generations after he wiped it out, the walls are still there and dilapidated and somewhat, but they use it for hunting preserve because the whole thing was destroyed, all gone. So the descendants of Ham became world leaders the Nineveh, the Assyrians, Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, all right? And then the major flow of the descendants of Ham go into Africa and become servants of servants. The black nations were the ones who became slaves over most of the world. Europe, America, Asia, all over. And in their own country, they bought and sold slaves. And so we have here Noah explaining that Canaan's descendants, which would move into Africa afterwards, uh, would become slaves. And slave of slaves, the worst kind of slave. All right, now, let's go one more here. Uh, we've got one more son. Verse 21 of chapter 10. Unto Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth the elder, even to him were children born. And he begins to explain <coughs> Shem's family. And he comes in Shem's family to a man named Eber. And we believe that that name stuck and eventually became Hebrew. And so Abraham is called a Hebrew or a descendant of Eber. And so the name Hebrew is given first to I suppose Eber himself, and that became Hebrew. And so Shem is the father of the Hebrews, or the Jews. Right. Shem is the father of the Jewish nation. Now, Shem would have ten actually the most famous tent of all time was the tabernacle. And Moses in the wilderness uh, is instructed by God, you're going to build a tent. We're going to move that tent wherever we go. And they build the tabernacle as the first place of worship and really the only one that God ever said, I want you to build this. Later on, Solomon would build a temple but God allowed it, but God didn't command it. This is the only uh, place of worship that God ever commanded. That was the tent. And so the tent where the Hebrews worshiped God became the center of Hebrew worship. And as time went on, King David would come in that line and he would make worship in the tabernacle a huge thing and his son Solomon would build the temple. And then it would go on for years and years and years until King Herod, the time of Jesus, has rebuilt the temple for 46 years, rebuilding the temple, and they still have the same worship thing in that tent. But it's the sons of Japheth that we're most interested in, all right? They will be enlarged. So they go up to Europe, and they spread across Europe, and they become 
what we would call today the white race. All right, Ham represents the dark races that went down into Africa, uh, into Europe, goes uh, the descendants of Japheth. I'm a descendant of Japheth. Probably you are too. If you have European descent, all right, you're a descendant of Japheth. You're that part, all right? Now, uh, somebody said, we're all come from two people. They all came from Adam, and we all came from Noah. And he said, Adam was a thieving gardener, and Noah was a drunken sailor. <laughs> That's a pretty good estimate of the human race, okay? <laughs> but uh, Japheth will be enlarged. He will grow and grow and grow and grow. And the world kingdoms, which started out with the Assyrian kingdom in Nineveh and the Babylonian kingdom, would now change over to the Medo-Persian kingdom, which was over here, Japheth's descendants, the Persian Empire, and they go on to the Greece, the Grecian Empire, and then of course the Roman Empire. Those are all the descendants of Japheth, and Japheth's descendants would rule the world on and on and on and on. However, they dwelt in the tents of Shem. So, we have some fascinating things. The book of Acts tells us uh, Peter and Paul are saying, should we go to the Gentiles, the descendants of Japheth? Should we go there? And God says, yeah. And he heard the Macedonian call. Paul has a dream. Some man from Macedonia who is European calls and please come to us. And so the gospel begins to spread across uh, Europe. And eventually, although Rome begins with the persecution of Christians, in the year 300, Constantine comes in and says, I'm a Christian, I'm taking over. And it becomes the Christian empire of Rome. All right. And so these Gentiles worship the God of Shem. Or they moved into the place where they were a part of God's kingdom. Now you say, well, does that mean the, the children of Ham were thrown out on their ear? No. You have the first prime example of someone who's a descendant of Ham in the book of Acts. Who is it? It's the Ethiopian eunuch. He is traveling by chariot from Jerusalem and uh, God sends Philip and says, go out there in the middle of nowhere. I can't go there now, I'm busy. He said, go out there. <laughs> and there's a guy you'll meet. And the Ethiopian eunuch, who is a black man, is riding his chariot back to Africa. And he accepts the Lord right there. And so you see, the door was open to whosoever will may come. But it was the descendants of Japheth who went after that. The Europeans began to form churches all across Europe. And then uh, there was a reformation in Europe, right, under Martin Luther. And the church grows and grows and grows and, and begins to develop. And then they go where? To America, all right? And God wants them to spread out, remember, fill the earth multiply, spread out. And so the Europeans go into America and they begin what? Churches. You have one of the most dynamic movements in the history of the world, the Methodist Church, it absolutely sets on fire in America. That's where this was. That's where this church came to be from that movement, all right? That's why they built this, part of that movement. 
And what do you see? Uh, the sons of Japheth are filling the tents of Seth. And what do they do? They come across to America, and America has two renewals. They get back to God, and what do they do? We're going to send missionaries. And where do they send them? Africa. They go to Africa. And other places, too. All right? But they go to Africa, back to Africa, back to the descendants of Ham. And so God has opened the door. So the history of the world isn't this kingdom and that kingdom. The histories of the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ moving and moving and moving and moving. And that's what it is. And every once in a while, God does something absolutely fantastic. The first book ever published was the Bible. First book ever published. Somebody got a thought we could put print on a page and make more than one book at a time. <laughs> And it was the Bible. And the Bible started, they said, we're going to make this a book that everybody can read. And that was in Europe. And you're going to translate it into English. And it was in Latin. And the young fellow walked in. He says, someday, he said to his minister, I'm going to make it so that the plowboy knows more about the Bible than you. And he did. He translated the Bible into English, and that was a major step forward in the history of the sons of Japheth as they are filling the tents of Shem and worshiping the God. And that's who you are. You know, you're descendants of Japheth. You're European descendants. Okay, how we came here, some of you a while ago, some of us not so long ago. All right, but we came here. And uh, we're in the tents of Shem. Right, so Shem was blessed because through Shem, the first promise is kept, which was, hero born of woman, God speaking to Adam and Eve, be hero born of woman will crush the serpent with his heel. And where would that come from? Shem down to Eber, down to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, Joseph, Jesus. All right, so they had the honor of being in the line of Christ. And though they were never big, they were never really powerful. And as far as the world's history goes, the history of the world revolves around them because they had the truth of God. They were given the truth of God, which is this. And this is so well connected to history that we can look at our own history and we can explain, let's see, we can explain how the Europeans came to be what they were. And it's because of the blessing that Noah pronounced on Japheth. So here's a man who wakes up from his drunk, you know, they say, oh, naughty Noah. Never mind, naughty Noah. He just explained the history of the world in about three or four sentences. It's pretty staggering information that he supplies. And so that we're able now to trace how that happened right up till today. All right. And so that's why one of the reasons why we support the orphanage in Africa. That's kind of the natural thing. When we have the truth and are able to, where's the first thing we think? Let's go to Africa. Let's go to Africa. Because we can go over there and spread the light and spread help to Africa. And we reach out to the descendants of Ham, who turned against God, were the first ones to turn against God. And in one branch of the family, Canaanites, completely turned against God. And God wiped not only them out, but their cities. And so it kind of is one more thing I would add tonight and then be done. Uh, cities. God didn't ever seem to be in favor of them. You ought to keep going. I don't want you to build this city in Babylon. I'm going to confuse it so you can't. All right, and where do we find the most violence, 
Look at Chicago. Look at New York City. Where do you find violence? Where do you find rebellion, full-scale rebellion against God? In cities. And I think when America was doing God's will, they were heading west, right? They were heading west and spreading themselves out. And God blessed that expansion all the way across the United States. But now we have cities, and it seems to be that they ever were from the very beginning a place where eventually people in large numbers would be in rebellion against God. So I'm glad I don't live in a city. All right? I'm glad I don't live in a city. Thankful for God's point of view where he says if you get too many of them all together and they're all so stubborn and violent, uh, it's going to be a mess. Boy, it's a mess, isn't it? How many people die in Chicago every weekend, 20, 30? Nobody says anything. Just keep killing. Just keep killing. Everybody, oh, it's okay. It's all right. No, it's not all right. Not all right. All right. So we have, from the beginning, the weakness of the human race as God does what he needs to do to spread them out and break that power that they had. All right. And by so doing, extend the time up to the coming of Christ into 4,000 years, and then extend now 2,000 more to this time, all right, as God is patiently waiting. So there's history explained from Noah, Noah's point of view when he got drunk one day. <laughs> and he woke up and he said, here you go, here's what's going to happen. And he explained the history of the world right there uh, in his tent. Very fascinating. Thank you.